Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Craig Muster Show, a show by Craig Muster, an executive business and life coach. It's all about helping people unlock their greatness and inspiring them to rise up and live their fullest life. This podcast is all about championing, coaching, and transforming leaders, business peoples, entrepreneurs, thinkers, and creatives through the stories and experiences of today's frontline leaders in business, government, media and the creative arts, apologetics, and Christianity. If this is your first time listening to our show, I want you to know that Craig has a tremendous passion to see people thrive while dismantling their impossibilities. So subscribe and join our tribe. And hey, if you're wondering who I am, I'm Craig's co-host, Tanya Rodriguez, an amazing entrepreneur, advisor to my city's Cultural Arts Commission, and a vision strategist. Hey, Craig and Tribe, how are you doing today? Hey, this is this is going to be a fun one. I cannot wait again to not only talk about the subject we're going to talk about today, but who we get to talk to about the subject. A really good friend of mine, and trust me, if you're listening today, you are in for a treat. It will absolutely provoke you to curiosity in the wonder of who God really is. He's connected with us today, all the way from England, from London area region, I believe. It's Mr. Paul Manwaring. So we'd like to welcome him. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's very good to be be with you and uh, to hang out with my very good friend, Craig. And uh, that's always good news for me. So yeah, good to be with you. Yeah, and I can't wait for the next time we get to do a barbecue in either in your place or my place. I am not picky, Paul. I will just wherever you want to cook food, I'm going to be there. And it was so cool last year to be able to, to hang out after David's tent yeah, in England and uh, have that short visit at your house and amazing food. Every time it's amazing food. It's uh, awesome. I was going to say, when you say you're not picky, you are picky about the quality of your food. You're just not picky about where you eat it. <laughs> That's exactly right. That is exactly right. I am not picky about whether it's here or there. I am picky about the amount of times we get to do this. That that needs to increase in numbers. And that's so you're gonna hear just in our conversation today, Paul and I are very good friends. And you know, we met 2003. So you're talking 17 years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. And and even the subject we're gonna talk about today on surgery not being a second class healing. How do you handle the distance between or that space between? what you're believing to happen and the actual miracle becoming a reality. I mean, these are heart issues, guys. These are not just theoretical issues. They are not, they're not issues that you can just simply pontificate about in some back room and, and speak of, of high and lofty thoughts that will take care of heart issues. What I've found is many people's theories about what matters in life get tested when their heart goes through something that their mind hiccups on. That means that they might have a theology in their head or they might have an idea of how things are supposed to work out in their head. But when you go through the fire, I'm telling you, whatever is in your head that has not made its way to your heart gets tested. And when it gets tested, some things happen. Something's good, something's bad, meaning some things in our heart gets revealed as being anchored in something that's pretty shakable, insecurity, 
right? We know insecurity is simply trying to find security in something that's not very secure. And so what, what happens through that process can introduce us to ourselves. It could introduce us to aspects of God we've never seen. It could introduce us to our community in a new way. But how we respond to that and how we see those adverse times and those incredible challenges in that space between promise and manifestation or between belief and miracle or between promise and finally seeing the fruit of that promise, that space is very real. Matter of fact, I would say we spend most of our lives in that space. The, the time of promise can be kind of short, and the time of seeing it fulfilled can be kind of short. Most of our life is, spilled, is spent in between. And so how do we handle that? And that's part of what we're going to get into today. One of the things that in the process of working through what we deal with in a day in and day out, and I'm talking to all of you C-suite execs, all, all, all of you executives of businesses, all you business owners, all you entrepreneurs, people, leaders, uh, influencers, pastors, part of the hiccup that we find in our mind or in our brain and our way of thinking when we go after what we deem as supernatural, we might take care of some sacred cows today. I'm going to give you a, a heads up on that. But we've simply defined supernatural as anything that's beyond our current understanding. I don't know if that's the best definition. I know it's the definition when people think, well, that supernaturally happened. What they're saying is, I didn't know how that could happen. And something outside of my knowledge, my understanding, my power, my ability caused that to happen. And I get that. And I understand the thought process. But because so many people simply say, if it's beyond my understanding, it's supernatural. Sometimes it causes us to not go after understanding with fear of simply reducing our life to the natural. Meaning there's, there must be a better definition of supernatural than simply beyond our understanding. If you look through the history, when penicillin was first discovered, if, if someone in the church would have you know, been exposed to someone being given an injection or somebody receiving penicillin and getting better, they might have thought that was supernatural because they didn't have a grid for it. And because of that, maybe gone away from understanding the power of medicine. But what we understand, if you begin to research who God is and his nature, he has put forth laws that work. He's created the world for us to discover solutions and it's in the discovering of the solutions and knowledge and understanding that's just as supernatural as the things that happen without our understanding. Meaning this, that do not reduce supernatural to what you, can, you can't understand. Otherwise, you might actually go your entire life without understanding something that God wants to give you comprehension of. Part of the supernatural life is gaining understanding beyond your capacity. To gain that understanding, meaning God gives you the ability to understand something you couldn't yesterday to understand it today. The second thing that I want to touch on just briefly, and that is the line between sacred and secular. And the definition of secular, if you look it up, oftentimes it simply says anything without religiosity or anything without God. 
and, and again, that's not usually the way people use it today. Most of the time, people talk about anything secular as something being outside the church. This is a really bad definition. And the first time I heard Paul talk about this subject, I was going in the School of Business up in Redding, California in 2004. And he began to, to speak on the subject of erasing the, the line of what we've deemed as sacred and secular. And it set me free to realize God wants to invade every area of our lives, including business, including education, including government. That there isn't a line between what we should invite God into and what he should be pushed out of. And if we live with that line inside of us and say, you know what? Well, that's a secular job, so I just get that one done. But my sacred ministries in the church, this will create double-mindedness. We live our job with human belief, human capacity, human wisdom. And then we minister in church with godly wisdom, godly belief, godly capacity. It's not the way it's intended to be. Matter of fact, the scripture never uses the word secular one time. If you look it up in Ezekiel 44, talks about the worshipers training people, the difference between common and uncommon, holy and unholy, and that's it, which means this, your job is just as holy as being behind the pulpit and preaching. Trust me, it's just as holy when it's consecrated to God and just as unholy when you're doing it for yourself, just like if you're preaching behind a pulpit and doing it for your for yourself, it's just as unholy. So those two concepts, I wanted to preface today's talk and just get the ball rolling because Paul has a lot to give us today. He's walked through this on a personal level. It's not just theory to him. You know, his life, really, his career spans four different seasons. He began working as a registered nurse. Then he worked in the prison service in England and Wales. After 19 years, um, became, became a prisoner, a prison governor, which would be the same in the United States as being like a prison warden. He and his wife then moved to Redding, California. He had no plan of having a career in the church. That was not his objective when he moved there. But he was quickly snapped up by the leadership by the time he graduated the School of Ministry and was brought on staff there, became a part of the senior leadership team at Bethel Church, and then was drawn back to Europe a couple of years ago. But now that he's back in Europe, he's traveling, he's teaching, he's coaching, he's coaching entrepreneurs, he's coaching businesses, he's co coaching leaders, as well as central in relationships with the Europe, Europe shall be saved. He's central to that, the team and awakening Europe. And he is really excited and encouraged and challenged by the harvest, not only in Europe, but in the United States. Paul describes his brand as diversity perhaps summed up as fathering people and fathering organizations and all that that embraces. He has a passion to empower everyone to know that they are sent from heaven to earth to bring the transformation of the kingdom of heaven, whoever they are, whatever they are, and wherever they go. And beyond all of that, he's just a very good friend of mine. So I'd like you guys to, to, to hear him talk to you just for a moment today and share some secrets of what he has seen and what he's discovered in the midst of his process. Let's get right into it. Before we touch anything else, would you just briefly touch on what led you to really going after the subject of sacred and secular? It's so much a part of my life, really. You know, I I didn't ever plan to, my language, get paid to go to church, really. I, I actually laid that down, although although I had a sense of a call when I was 17, I 
I, I became so involved in being a nurse and working in prison, and it was really my life. I went to Reading for my wife, and and then I'm there in that environment, and I I just start to pick up more and more of a sense that it, it isn't just about the church, and and that what I had believed all my life was actually the truth, and that here I was finding an environment where I could actually say it. And you know, I, I was teaching about it. You know, I was I was teaching about it. But really, the moment, the the key moment was when you know when I had prostate cancer and got healed by a surgeon's knife, and stood in church in in a in a place that people travel to from all over the world to get healed on a Sunday night, May the second, two thousand and eight. I stood and said, "Surgery is not a second class healing," and I I knew that that was true. And I'd always known that that was true. But what I didn't expect was that people would contact me and say, I've always felt second class as a surgeon. I felt second class to the miracle stories on Sundays. And yet they were people who saved 70, 100, 200 people's lives. And, and so that really gave me the, the confidence to stand and say, it, it's not a second class healing. And I think, you know, there are a number of other elements wrapped up around that. And, and one of the, the subjects that you know that I I love to talk about is, is tension and, and divine tension. And you really there are there are lots of things for me that all all flow together. You know, you've got people who who feel second class. That's wrong. That's just plain wrong. People who who feel that their their anointing is second class to the to the pastor, the preacher, the prophet, whoever, the guy or girl with the microphone, and and that means that's wrong. There there is no second class anointing because there are no second class Christians because my Jesus doesn't treat people like that. And and so it it's really the a lot of these elements that are all wrapped up together. And, and here's the reality. The Christian faith is is exactly that. It is the Christian faith. You only need faith when you can't see the answer. You know, only need hope when you're in the wilderness. You only need love in the presence of your enemies. You shouldn't need it on your honeymoon night. You need it in the presence of your enemies. And, and the reality is that the Christian life is lived in tension. It's, it is lived in this desire to bring heaven to earth. We're living in the reality, the imperfection, the sin, the frailty of earth, believing and knowing that there is a heaven that we are meant to bring down. And so we find ourselves living in this place of what I call divine tension, which is really what you're talking about. Even, you know, your introduction, if I'm waiting for my healing, I'm in, I'm living in tension. If I'm waiting for my prophetic word to come to pass, I'm living in tension. And, and here's the thing. We don't like it. We, we don't like spiritual tension. Now, your body physiologically right now is in tension. Otherwise, you're dead. Your, your muscles are held in tension. The nutrients in your body, the gases, they're all held in tension. Physically, you're in tension. Emotionally, and this is a really important issue for right now with the pandemic and everything, but emotionally, here's my definition of mental health is your ability to live with competing emotions whilst being responsible for your behavior. In other words, mental health lives in tension. You're a musician. Most music is the result of plucking strings or, you know, basically there's tension which releases energy. If you shoot arrows, you need a bow that has tension to fire the arrow. So why do we struggle with spiritual tension? We do. We struggle with it. And yet 
Here's the incredible truth. In the place of spiritual tension is the place you can access the energy, which is the energy required to bring heaven to earth and pull tomorrow into the day, which is what we're talking about. So the worst thing you can do is close down the tension. That's the, that is the big mistake. Actually, the key to the Christian life is to keep the tension alive. And really, that's what Jesus did when he said, greater works than these shall you do. He said, permission to live in tension. You've seen all these miracles, but there's more. So live in tension. So that's kind of a lot of the background of where I come from on this subject. And there's a lot more, as you know, but that'll start us. You know, that's an amazing, amazing way of not only seeing it, but if, if people can get that picture in their head, when, you know, when a heart is flatlining, it's dead. If there's no ups and downs, it's just a sign something's actually wrong when there's not tension. But just just as the same way you said it, it's actually where you get the juice. You get the juice in the tension. You get the energy or the, the capacity, the motivation in the tension to fully embrace your life. And, and I think part of that is we're waiting. Again, we're thinking in t- we think in terms of if if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, the tension would leave. When I'm successful, if people, if you ask, you know, you and I talk to how many different executives and leaders, and when we ask them or we're, we're walking them through the process of their destination or their desired outcome, their well-thought-out objectives, most of the time that objective is somewhere arriving and no longer any tension. I've gone through all the tension of my life and I finally arrived. We put the destination somewhere without tension, which means we're always waiting for that magical moment that tension's gone, that we can be fully alive. And we fail to realize it's that place that we're actually dead. We're dead in the place when there's no tension. And then we internalize the adversity we're going through when we think, man, if I'm really going through something, if I have a bad day, if I'm experiencing sadness, something's wrong with me. If I have sickness and I've prayed a thousand times and haven't been healed, I, something's wrong with my faith. And if you look at Jesus, Jesus not once. Now, albeit we are not Jesus, meaning we are in Christ, but we are not perfect. There are some times that our mistakes have consequences, meaning there are some legitimate things. If I run out in the middle of a freeway and get hit by a car, I can't say, hey, Jesus didn't protect me. So I think there's some absurdity in ways of thinking that go so far that way. But having said that, every time Jesus had a need, whether it was, you know, he was in the bottom of the boat and and the storm hit or, you know, the the feeding of the 5,000, he never internalized his problem or said, I must have done something wrong. He experienced adversity after adversity after adversity in his life as the son of God, never making a mistake. And I look at, to your point, how many people are living with a high level of shame in their life because of their condition? They've been shamed into being quiet. Something is wrong. They've been told something is wrong with you. It's in, and by sometimes by even, well, intended people who maybe have prayed for them 10 times and because they're still sick, something must be wrong with you. And that's the kind of shame you're talking about. You are. I remember. I remember the day you called me and said, hey, I might have cancer. And I'm thinking, what What are we going to do? 
you know, let's, of course, let's pray. How many people have we seen healed from cancer already? But that wasn't your journey. That wasn't, that wasn't your journey. And you know what, Paul, I got to be honest. I thank God it wasn't your journey. Actually, I do too. I thank him. See, here's the thing. A million things buzzing in my head. Let's just start with one. What we're talking about is the difference between excellence and perfection. Now, excellence is to believe that I arrive at this point where everything's done. Excellence is a journey. The degree to which an organization is excellent is the degree to which the organization is pointed towards his excellency, the king. Now, here's the thing. Perfection, you're driven to perfection, but you're drawn to excellence. That's good. It's a There's a different dynamic. So even in what we're talking about here, excellence builds the whole. Perfection burns you out. Now, why am I saying this? Because the pursuit of healing is a journey of excellence. Say, you know, if I pray for Mrs. Jones, who has cancer, and I am pursuing heaven on earth in Mrs. Jones' body, and Mrs. Jones doesn't get healed, was my declaration that she would be healed perfection? No, it wasn't. But it was excellence because it was completely pointed towards the king. Now, if my desire is perfection every time and I don't see the result, I will stop pursuing. But excellence says it wasn't something wrong with me. It's a journey. So I have to protect the assignment of heaven on earth, even when I don't see the breakthrough. And how I do that is by keeping the tension alive. And the greatest example I can tell you, the single greatest example, is that I walked in, Sue and I walked in September 2017 to a side room in a hospital to our two spiritual kids who had just had a full-term baby born sleeping with Jesus, Sue's beautiful language. And we heard tears and cries the like of which we have never heard, but we also heard, but you're so good. And what they did was they protected the assignment of heaven on earth, of healing. They protected it. And this is how they protected it. And this is the key because this is this is our assignment. There is no, you know, there is no tragedy in heaven. So there should be no tragedy on earth. There is no cancer in heaven. There should be none on earth, but there is. If our goal is perfection, we'll throw our faith out. If our goal is excellence, then we will keep the tension alive. I keep the tension alive in this way. He's good. I'm not blaming him for it. It's the same as this pandemic. This He didn't send it, but he will use it. The trouble is God's so good at turning trash into treasure that we think he sent the trash. So we, we create a theology that he sent the trash because we're missing the fact that when God touches trash, it looks like treasure. So we keep we keep it alive. So we keep the tension. Here's how we do it. He's good. There are mysteries. We don't know everything because we're not God. There are mysteries. Why did Mrs. Jones die? I, I don't know. 
But the question is, will, will I reduce my theology to my experience or will I keep the tension alive? See, the, the Bible says nothing's impossible. Do I choose to carry on believing it after Mrs. Jones died? Yes, I do. Am I important in this journey of bringing heaven to earth? Yes, I am. Is he here in the midst of the tragedy? Yes, he is. Well, why didn't he stop it? I don't know. Did he send it? No, he's good. But I keep the tension alive because, because I'm saying there's mystery. He's good. Nothing's impossible. I'm a significant part in this, and he's here. And so this is our assignment is to keep this tension alive, which is the nature of our faith. This is the very see if, if you're struggling with your faith right now, I'll tell you what I'll tell you a good assignment. Go and find somebody with an impossible situation and stand in front of them and declare heaven on earth, declare healing, declare breakthrough. I tell you, it will work wonders. It will work wonders for your faith because, yeah. you know, you, we joined this. We joined this Christian faith. You know, we didn't join the Christian certainty. We didn't join the Christian everything happens every time exactly the way we want it. It is the Christian faith. And that's that's the reality. So to me, yeah, I mean, it's a journey of excellence, which is the journey that every entrepreneur and every businessman wants to go on. I can tell you this. You don't want a journey of perfection because here's the thing. When you arrive, perfection will not satisfy you. But excellence knows there is more and is always satisfied. And it's the absolute key. And king, kingdom is about excellence. Yeah. Paul, I'm totally tracking here with you because healing has, has had to be part of my life with an autoimmune condition. So I've been praying about that. And it wasn't, I think in the, in the beginning when I was kind of hit with this autoimmune condition, it's a thyroid condition, but it kind of changes your world because all your hormones and everything get thrown off. And then I'm running a company. I have a brand new company. At the same, I've given the keys to a company at the same time. So I'm wondering how, how to navigate this. And to be quite honest, I, I totally went on perfection. I was just like, God's going to heal me. I'm going to get through this. This is like, you know, the, the one prayer, the one preacher lay hands on me. I had a community of people behind me and those are all wonderful. But I was just like, it's not happening. Or, you know, then I have people telling me, well, you have open doors in your life. I, I was like, maybe unbelief. I'm not believing enough for my healing. I don't know. I'm going through all this stuff. And honestly, I went to perfection, what you're talking about. And it led me to a great <laughs> burnout. It laid, led me to a great burnout until I honestly, I had to reach out to Craig and Carlette, his wife. And, and that's when my journey began. That's when I started to what you're talking about. It's just like I had to put on some different lenses here because I was just wondering when is this going to happen? When I'm going to, you know, get healed. And it was just a journey. God took me on it. And I honestly, going through that and understanding what you're saying, you know, that God is good putting on those glasses, it has been the best thing to happen to me in this season of my life is allowing to see that God is good and allowing him to open, you know, come into my heart. Revel I always talk about Revelation 3.10, you know, that knocking on the door and allowing God to allow Jesus to come into my life. And I think when I started to do that, it was, an, you know, kind of like just like an unveiling. I could see God and his goodness in my life. But if I had not surrendered in that moment, if I had not gone to that from that perfection and really started to go after just the journey, the excellence that you're talking about, I would be in this depression 
depression, this funk. It was very, very hard. And I've opened up my heart, actually, let him in. And now I'm on a whole new level of surrendering and coming before him. And this is not just as a result of an autoimmune. Now I'm able to do that in all areas of my life. You know, I, I run a catering company and this is where I'm just like, okay, now I've, God is good. Got, you know, during the season, what we're going through, God is good. It doesn't matter what storm, whatever is coming, like we're on a journey, you know, and he isn't giving up on us. He hasn't and he won't. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I think the greatest, one of the greatest risks we've taken, I know for me, I didn't have trouble believing or understanding the fear of the Lord. That I understood. The greatest risk my heart has ever made is in believing in the goodness of God. Now, I do understand that some people have been well acquainted with the goodness of God and don't understand the fear of the Lord and don't understand some aspects of God. But I think it's talking to somebody several years ago and they said it's it's like having a two-headed coin. To your point, Paul, the tension that's created when you only believe that the fear of the Lord is the only thing that exists and you don't understand the goodness of God, it's like having a two-headed coin and vice versa. How do both exist at the same time of the fear of the Lord and the goodness of God? There are some that we will understand and some that will be left to the being misunderstood, number one, and that will not fully comprehend the majesty and the brilliance of God in that, in that element of being both a healthy fear. I'm not talking, you know, about being terrorized by God, but a healthy fear of God and, but having the grounded that he's good. And that belief for anybody who's listening. And even for, I know a a lot of curious people listen to this podcast that you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. I want you to know that God is good. He's not waiting for you to get your life together, to reach out to him. And your father in heaven, the one that wants to adopt you, he's a good dad. And he will be better than any father you've ever experienced on earth. So you hear Paul talk today. If there's anything that I would want you to take out of it is when he talked about excellence versus perfection, really perfection is is hooking yourself into the destination. All your hope is in the destination. But excellence is hooking yourself into God himself. All of your hope is in connection to God. That means that he stays your hope, not the ultimate destination. You're not waiting till you are, you're not waiting to rest or exhale. You're not waiting till you arrive to finally be full. You could be full and whole right now, even if your body is physically sick. You could have peace of mind even right now in the midst of adversity. You don't have to wait for the destination. The promise is so much bigger than the destination. It's a person that you can connect to right now. And I encourage you to take time just for a moment, even when you listen to Paul today, to say a simple prayer and say, God, I want to connect to you. And I don't want to wait another moment. I don't want to wait till I figure this thing out. I'm not healed yet, but I, I want to connect to you now in the midst of my process. And what you'll find is the greatest gift God gives us is not healed bodies. It's a resurrected life and connection to him for eternity. And if that does not stay, 
center, you will not have the courage to push through the condition you find yourself in. Paul, you know, when you were going through this and you brought it up, I can't help but think about how many people, what was your internal process as you came to grips with surgery is not a second class healing? We believed, we were believing, we were standing in faith, we were praying for your healing. It wasn't happening. And yet, to your point, it wasn't an inferior, we don't get extra credit points for being healed by the laying on of hands versus being healed by surgery. There's no extra credit points by doing it one way or the other, both in faith. But I know the tension that you must have been dealing with internally, and we've talked about it. What? How did you process that tension out of saying, okay, do I get surgery or do I just get prayer? What was that process? What did that look like? Well, I mean, you you were there the day that I told the doctor what I was going to do. So I I told him, you know, you've given me a diagnosis. What would you do, doctor? To which he first refused. And I said, hey, you're the doctor. You're supposed to know this stuff. (laughs) What would you do? He said, I'd have the surgery at the earliest opportunity. and, And I said to him, okay, then what's the last date that I can have another biopsy and still have surgery on that date? And that's what I did. And I had a second biopsy and I had this, you know, the biopsy came back and I still need surgery. So I, I guess how I processed it was I will have surgery unless I'm healed first. And I, I don't have a, oh, let's give it another six months and see if God can work. God, God doesn't need another six months to work. What I, what I now know is that, that he absolutely knew how that was going to work out. You know, I think, you know, one of the one of the things for me is the Christian life is a journey. You know, I mean, I I would say that, you know, if I was to play around with what you just said, which I like, you know, perfection is is hooked into the destination. I I would say that excellence is hooked into the journey with, with God. I mean, it's it's that it's it's this piece of the journey. I just discovered something which I think is is worth saying here. And, and it's a lesson from the, the Jewish faith. I went to Bethel on Genesis chapter 12, go to a place called Bethel, east of the mountains, near some big trees. That pretty much describes Bethel, really. And that that was my journey. And about, about a month ago, I, was, I wasn't having a bad day, but I was having a day when I was like, I need to remind myself of some things. And I picked up the Passion Translation of Genesis, and I read Genesis 12, 1, and I I saw something that stunned me. And that is, when it says, leave the land of your fathers, it really means go find yourself. Now, this is incredible. And actually, it's called Lech Lecher. You can look at it in the footnote of the Passion, Genesis 12, 1. Lech Lecher is a portion of of the Torah and the Jews divide the Torah into sections. They read different sections each week of their year. And one of them is called Lech Lecher. And it is the journey. And here's the incredible thing. It is that there is redemption in the journey. What I'm about to say, I, I believe is a mind changer. It's a mind change for anybody who is waiting for their breakthrough. So Abraham leaves home you know, all these promises, you're going to be prosperous, wealthy, all the stuff. Yeah. And what does he do? He hits a famine. 
He hits a famine. Now, here's the thing. Lech Lecher teaches this. If you tenure, say you got diagnosed this morning at eight o'clock, and by eight o'clock at night, you're healed. Only you get blessed. But if you get diagnosed at eight o'clock this morning and you go on a journey, the world gets blessed by observing the interaction between you and your God on your journey. And the nature of the Christian faith is a redemptive journey. And the nature of the life of Jesus is a redemptive journey. And more people get blessed out of the journey than they do out of the instant. Now, sometimes he chooses the instant and I love it. Right. He chose the journey. And it's it's even Jesus. So here's the thing. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's perfect as being God and he's perfect as being man. So why did Jesus have to grow in wisdom, favor and stature with God and man when he's perfect? Why? Because he even Jesus lived in the tension of being man and God. He had to grow in favor. The man in Jesus had to grow in favor with God and the God in Jesus had to grow in favor with man, even though both were perfect. So even Jesus lived in the tension. We know that because in Garden of Gethsemane, he said, let this cup pass from me. He had so much tension, there was blood coming out of his forehead. So this is the nature of our lives, is to live a journey of tension, and the journey is excellence. And in the journey, the world gets blessed because they see the interaction of a good God with frail humanity trying to re- trying to kind of work it out. And I'll just say one last thing. If you happen to be an atheist on here, or if you right now stop and imagine what an atheist would think, here's my belief. Atheists believe that if there is a God, their belief is that that God is usually a more godlike God than most Christians have. Because atheists would tell you this, if he's God or she's God, you know, because they'll they're going to go that way. They would live in a place that's better than us. That's called heaven. They would know the future. That's called prophecy. They would know more than us. There's mystery. And they would live in perfect relationships. In other words, the picture that an atheist would have of a God, if there was one, is usually a bigger and better and more accurate picture than most Christians have of who God is, that he lives in heaven. He's perfect in relationship. He knows more than we do. And he's, he lives in the future and he is totally and utterly good. And he is. And we know. Yeah. I mean, this is, he, he, he is good. And this is the tension that we live in. Come on. So those that are listening today that are struggling in the midst of the space between promise and provision or manifestation, for those that are struggling between praying for a miracle and the miracle happening, number one, I want you to know that you're you're not alone. This is this is actually what all of us work through. There isn't one believer, one person who has trusted God that has bypassed this process. 
including Jesus. The tension between prayer and manifestation, the tension as he grew in his maturation process without sin, perfect in every way, and still there was a waiting process in his life that he could not skirt around. What I'm saying is, is it possible that you've thought that the destination is the point of life when it's really about the pilgrimage? And learning to love God, learning to receive his love, learning to have community in the midst of your process, rather than somehow trying to get to the end to show everyone that you have what it takes. What I'm saying is, is it possible that not just in spite of your adversity, but actually because of it, in the midst of genuine brokenness, not crippled, guys, but brokenness. That means surrendering to something greater than you. That that's where you will be introduced to the greatest version of who you are. I believe yes. I believe that's where you get introduced to yourself more than ever before. Because you get introduced to who you really are, not the facade that you hope to present to other people to get them to accept you. And not the facade that you're trying to get God to accept. God loves you right where you're at. He wants to be with you in the midst of your attention. And Colossians says that in Christ, all things hold together. My question is, if you are not able to survive the tension currently in your life, is it possible that you're simply existing outside of Christ in that tension? You're trying to make it work yourself. My invitation is that you experience the adversity in Christ. Put yourself back in him and remind yourself he's the one that holds things together, not brute strength. I bless you guys today with the capacity to believe for what you couldn't believe for yesterday, to experience the mercies of God that will always flow to the lowest point, to see from heaven's perspective and from your father's perspective in heaven who you really are, to be drawn to his kindness to surrender your brokenness to his goodness and to find another level of empowerment, energy, juice in the midst of the tension rather than wishing it away. Paul, would you just bless all the listeners just for a moment before we wrap this up today? Yeah, I bless you with tension. I bless you to go from glory to glory, from faith to faith, to greater revelation, that's the blessing. The blessing is greater works than these shall you do. Every one of them. The three greatest words of the Christian faith are faith, hope, and love. And you don't need them when everything's happening okay. You need them in the place of tension, of the unseen. And it is a beautiful gift. Is That is the place that we are invited to live, in that place. And you know the bones in Ezekiel? Do you know why they died? Because the tension was removed from the muscles. Do you know how they came back to life? Tension was spoken back into the bones. Can these bones live? Entrepreneurs, you need a vision that creates tension in you. 
You, you need to dream of an idea that creates tension. Revivalists, you need to believe of ideas and dreams. Can a nation be saved in a day? It's an invitation to live in a place of tension. And so I bless you to live in that place, to pull heaven to earth, to pull tomorrow into today, and to always live knowing that what Jesus said is true. Greater works than these shall you do. In Jesus' name, amen. That is amazing. And I'm telling you, I'm excited, Paul. I know you and I have talked about doing a masterclass. You're going to want to stay tuned, guys. I was doing a masterclass very soon. And paulmanwaring.com. I'm telling you, this guy is an amazing coach. He's coached me through the years. He was one of my first mentors in coaching. So for all of you listeners out there, you're going to want to check his website out. Tanya? Yeah, thank you everyone for listening today. Thank you, Paul. And hey, if you felt empowered by today's episode, subscribe and join our tribe to find out more about our masterclasses, e-courses, and live events. You can also find us on craigmuster.com. And please leave a comment below and tell others about The Craig Muster Show. Craig Muster Show.